0: A solitary tear crystal clear falls at 3.16 a moment dear. Where, where, where does it, I mean, I know where it comes from. It comes from hoovering up the entire internet and making poems out of it. And, you know, next word, stochastic parrot nonsense. But like, it makes me laugh and it's hilarious to have. It's hilarious to have. I want more people to have this.
1: Welcome to Journey with Purpose. That was Matt Webb of Acts Not Facts, reading from his new AI clock, Poem 1. We're speaking to Matt today because of Poem 1, but we're really speaking about AI and how it connects and substantiates into physical things. This is not SponCon. I really am interested in how digital things substantiate into the world. Matt,
0: welcome to the pod. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what do you do? Hi. Right. Thanks for having me here. I'm Matt Webb. I'm calling from South London in the UK. And I have a small, well, I call it kind of like a micro studio that does product invention, design and technology. But maybe kind of like nano studio or femto studio are being more accurate. Like, it's just me. I think it's an aspirational studio. I started this last year by drawing three circles that represented the things that I find most interesting, being A.I., small group interactions, and embodiment, the physical world. And I said, right, I'm going to take on projects which are anywhere in this kind of area. Client projects, self-initiated projects, build a portfolio and see where it goes, right? And so I've had some fascinating client projects so far. And one of the the, the first studio-initiated thing uh, turns out to be, accidentally, this AI clock that tells the time in rhyming couplets. Yeah,
1: so tell us more about this. You've been working somewhat in public around this, showing prototypes. I remember the post it seemed like a nice little prototype, a little e-ink thing. And tell us about Poem 1.
0: This was an accident. So back in March 23, uh, I posted on Twitter a small screen, this four-inch screen, e-ink screen, that every minute gets a new poem from the model behind ChatGPT and tells the time. So I've got a prototype on my desk at the moment, which says beneath a moonlit sky so grams the time tolls two forty-four at hand and it's a different poem every minute and i put it on twitter and you know like the poems like made me laugh and i just started posting what it was saying because it was weirdly motivational right like it was kind of like a linkedin influencer in tiny words on my bookshelf and the tweet went wild it was retweeted replied by a whole bunch of people the verge picked up immediately It ended up in the New York Times. It it went viral in India, which was an incredible experience because the press was just like beautifully skeptical. Like it was like man claims he's got this clock that makes the time using chat GPT. Like, don't believe everything you read in the media, right? Like I think we we can take a lot of lessons from that. But it was a prototype. And long story short, I thought I should manufacture this. And that journey has been the last nine months or so. Until I get to this point, and I get to this point, which is a Kickstarter campaign. I've got to the point where, like, let's make this thing.
1: Yeah, it's super interesting. I've heard people talk about Kickstarter as a product market fit machine, but I've been interested that you've been using both Twitter and even Substack newsletters and prototyping public to, from from a casual observer to both keep people informed, but also drum up interest in it. I I really liked some of the earlier newsletters where you're like this thing is going to cost a dollar and eighty cents every day. That doesn't seem like a thing that'll that'll be sustainable because you've you've launched products in the past. Somewhere in this house, I have like two little printers here somewhere in the house, and so launching of the pr- of products, you've
0: done this before. What same or different about this one? Well, first of all, thank you for buying little printer. Like I really appreciate that. Like I have such a soft spot for that and so many people in the studio put so much creative energy into it it's just heartwarming whenever i think about it or hear other people got one and yeah learnt a lot from that um let me tell you a little bit about where this clock came from because this was not intended to be a product first of all right like that's the the first thing i i rebooted my design practice i guess around the beginning of 23 or let's say rather i rediscovered it it's always about sketching and making right I know that, you know that, everyone listening to this knows that, but I feel like I lost my way a bit around that and stopped sketching and making. I forgot that so much thinking happens in your hands. And I wouldn't really call myself a designer, by the way, or a technologist. I'm kind of mid everything. And that's part of why I get the gigs I do. Like it's a, that's a valuable thing in itself, I think. But around beginning of 23, I deliberately started wanting to make more things, making software sketches, making prototypes with clients, because of this AI thing, we don't understand what it is. We don't understand what the possibilities are. And the only way you can figure that out is to roll your sleeves up. I've had this E-Ink clock on my shelf, a work clock on there for a while. I had made a prototype for another client where I'd needed to prove some end to end. I've been doing that with poetry. I think there's a lot to kind of just laugh around these things. I came down one morning and in 20 minutes, I wired the two things together because like, why not? And put it on Twitter. So it came from there. And I think that's interesting. There's something about making things real, which means that you put them in a different place in your head and you start treating them as tools to make more real things. When they exist just as sketches, you don't do that. So making things real incrementally carries your imagination further. Another lesson from Little Printer and that great fluorescence of connected products a decade ago is it renewed my belief in product categories. I think a lot of what we were trying to do then was to reinvent product. A lot of what we see with AI hardware now is new categories, right? Like what is the humane pin, right? We're not really sure. This is a clock and we know what clocks are. They don't interrupt. Mm -hmm. They look good. They're semi-functional, but they're also saying something with personality. And that means just so many answers about the design just kind of drop out from that kind of interaction. It's got to have an e-ink or an e-paper screen because it mustn't distract you. It's got to be the kind of thing that you glance out at the corner of your eye. It's got to take on the ambience of the room. And all of these things come out of, we know what the category is. But I think that's, an, that's another lesson. It was something that Little Printer didn't clearly have a kind of a category. And I've really swung towards, I know what this is. I know where it fits in my home and in my life. And I find that quite reassuring because it lets me be more experimental with other things, such as bringing an entire planet's worth of compute to generate poems on the screen. In terms of product development, I think it's been a while since I've been involved in something where people wanted it, right? Like there was a clear kind of, this is fun, without me thinking beforehand, how will I bring this to market? And there were problems with that first prototype. One, the clock was calling OpenAI and making this perms itself every minute. That's going to cost money. Two, it was a Raspberry Pi on a screen. You can't connect to that. The the UI is terrible. Like you can't configure the Wi-Fi. So to begin with, I said, well, I want to bring this to market. I don't know how. I figured out some different options. And I started taking on the kit version and the manufacturing this all the way version, both simultaneously and de-risking them both and showing people what I was doing as I went. And kind of going, would you buy it? Would you be interested? And then learning. Originally, I wanted to make a kit. And I tried many different routes and that kind of turned out not to be, not to be possible. I also had a way of doing it as a very simple reskinning of a screen. And uh, there were various partners lined up and that didn't work out for other reasons. And so this working towards it as a product was this very broad process of like inch toward the technology. Then the design, then the manufacturing, just all pushing forward, pushing forward. Until, in the end, what to do is the only thing that's left.
1: You know, when we start a project, the future universes we might inhabit are basically infinite. And every time we talk to someone, we hand someone something, we make something, we reduce our universe. And I love that. I love being able to say, okay, well, we thought it was going to go in this universe over here. We're actually going to go over here. And then every time you just keep making the future a little bit more
0: narrow. On that point, have you run into the term from meta research design pathfinding? I've been using pathfinding a lot recently to widen what a prototype is about. Because a prototype, like you say, is never just a prototype. It's a prototype to inform for an organization, future strategy, to tell yourself what can be done or to enlarge your imagination about what else could be done. And so when you say you're... In a pathfinding project, you're taking on the obligation of communication and persuasion. And you use design artifacts to do that. And I find it a really, really helpful framing because it says out loud what usually we kind of say implicitly that it's a prototype to do something else. I love the idea of pathfinding.
1: A lot of times I think of orienteering. I I used to be a scout, I loved orienteering because you have beginning and end and how you get there might be radically different based on the topography, the weather, the route, your skills as using a compass. And as long as we're getting to the end, that's fine.
0: And we use all kinds of different tools for pathfinding, right? So like sometimes you're sketching and making, sometimes it's technology, like does the software work I'm working with Tom Armitage, who's an incredible friend and incredible creative technologist. And so I'm sketching out the server and the API. He's building the technology, but then we kind of use that to explore the interaction design. And then the third third prototyping tool, I think, is spreadsheets. You know, you do the business model. And the business model includes, well, how do we deal with the fact that this is going to cost money to run? People don't want to pay a subscription. And then it takes into the economics of connected products. Well, if people don't want to pay a subscription, and the, the perm's going to be generated centrally, then that means there's going to be OPEX to run this product, which takes us into the old connected product conundrum of what happens when the product needs to be sunsetted. Either because the company moves on, well, there is no company here, it's just me. I can't afford to run something forever. So, so how does that work? And I can make best plans. You know, I'm ring fencing a percentage of the margin for each product to pay for the server and the AI for the next three to five years. But even then, you know, best laid plans and everything, What happens, right? What happens if I disappear?
1: Tell us about the, what is going to launch? So poem one is launching. It's going to be a physical thing. Brian Boyer talks a lot about matter battle and bringing things to life and the physicality of it. So I'm reading into the title. Maybe I'm overreading it, but it seems like this is almost a first substantiation of this poem machine that it could come to life in a bunch of different ways, but this is what you've chosen based on a whole bunch of factors.
0: Can you talk about that? First of all, what is Poem 1, right? What's being taken to Kickstarter? We've been through a number of different prototypes from that original. And in the end, I have a technical prototype sitting on my desk at the moment. In a world that's ticking fast and bright, the clock whispers it's 2.57 in the light. We've got a device. It's about six inches long. There's a four and a half inch e-ink screen, e-paper actually screen on the front and it's an appliance right this is not something you interact with beautiful device off white color sits on your shelf and tells the time by showing a new perm every single minute has wi-fi in there it has a at the moment the plan is a green usb-c cable because i kind of believe that the canonical color of ai is green so like we have to do that right there is poem one it's a it's about an inch deep so it kind of sits back a little and tilts at you if you want to have it on your wall you can you can double the cable back and run it down this gully but it's, yeah, it's, it's embedded AI, right? This isn't kind of an AI device like Rabbit or Humane that you kind of talk to. It's not an assistant, it's poetry. And the e-paper means that, you know, that's not a glowing screen. It takes on the light characteristics of your room. It's, it's a very handsome device. been working with Approach Studio, industrial design studio based here in London, who work with companies like Nothing and Logitech and Google. And the design work is gorgeous. I'm really, really pleased with that. So that's what's going to Kickstarter. My minimum order quantity with the uh, manufacturing partners lined up is a thousand units. So, what with margin and so on, there's a particular number I need to get to. And really, selfishly, it's because I want this on my shelf. And that means everyone else has to have it on their shelves too. And so, we need to kind of make that work. There is that kind of intriguing one at the end, right? And there is part of me which, you know, I play around with this in different ways. Like, I, I've had a little widget on my phone, which tells the time with poems as well. I have a version of it, which projects it on my wall. And so if anybody would like some lobby art, which projects poems, they look beautiful. Like that as well. I have some animation going on there, which makes it look really good. There is something about how AI speaks into the world that we're in, which is not about voice assistants or agents, which this is tapping for me. It's live copy it's embedded it's environmental i don't know quite what but it's tapping at something and so for me this is a vehicle to explore all of that as well nice i i seem to also remember
1: way back when at berg london you guys were messing around with clocks as well like robot readable clocks i yeah. i love i i love being able to see people's i'm going to say obsession in a good way but with things that come back like notes
0: in a refrain in their work. It's it's funny, isn't it? There were, there were quite a few people from Berg who shared the same kind of preoccupations, I think, and infected me with some, and I brought some of my own to that party, and then it turns out that they don't go away, right? Like a, a decade later, I am still interested in that aspect of how we talk to products and the environment, how they talk to us, not in a kind of a character-driven or like, you know, anthropomorphic kind of way, but in a, the environment comes a little bit to life. Mm. And there is something interesting about physicalizing it instead of screens as well. Yeah, All of these are kind of like continuing refrains, yeah. I think. Although this one, very simple, right? Like it's a clock, it's a gag, right? <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with gags, right? I, I tell myself this every so often I'm writing on my, you know, I've written on my blog now since 2000, right? And as we're recording this, I've hit a new streak, which is I've been blogging every week for 200 weeks consecutively, right? That's awesome. And I'm kind of banging out these like thousand word essays of like, philosophizing and all this kind of stuff. And I'm pontificating and talking about the future and I'm making this gag clock, right? Which talks in ridiculous poems. That sounds like a LinkedIn influencer, <laughs> like a t- tiny Sam Altman telling me to like go for it. And I'm using planetary compute to do it. And it, I love the absurdity, mm-hmm. right? It really... It really tickles me. Let me just read you this one. At 3.20, seize the day. Let your dreams lead the way. What?
1: <laughs> I, I like the idea of a gag because we can get really serious when we talk about AI. I mean, just yesterday, Twitter was awash in non-consensual fakes of Taylor Swift. And we we have elections here in the U.S., and... One in Harlem and one in New Hampshire, there were deep faked audio calls that went out to people and there's a lot of hand wringing about algorithmically generated crap that's now being picked up by Google. And so these are all like really big issues. And so it's interesting that a gag allows us to like slide in to have this conversation in both a lighthearted way, but it's a serious conversation about, like you said, you're using planetary level compute to make something that is... I'm not denigrating, but it's, it's a trifle, right? And so how would you suggest we think about all of these things together? How does Poem One enter into that conversation?
0: I think AI as a new technology is really mysterious and it's scary. Like so many new technologies, right? The time used to be like broadcast along wires by monopoly companies. When radio and electricity started, they got everyone thinking about the spirit worlds. And I think we're in this kind of collective future shock. And I think one of the approaches to deal with that is we need to demystify by getting our hands dirty. It's kind of like encounter therapy or something. So for all the people who talk about AI is going to steal our jobs or AI is going to accelerate the human race, you kind of need to sit down and get used to reading some of the things it puts out and feel for yourself what it's doing to us. So I sit here and I look at my clock on my shelf and I have done for months. And I'll tell you my two big conclusions. One is is that the words get really samey and you can notice that. Ten percent of the time hilarious. And in the other side, you do begin to notice it's AI, right? That the entertaining value of this is not that it's like a person writing poems. It is a bot writing poems. So for example, when you ask ChatGPT to come with something cute, sixty percent of the time it's gonna say kittens. It's quite deterministic like that. And it just demystifies it. The second weird thing about it is it's got a vibe which I didn't put in there. Now, I have worked on the prompt to mix it up a bit, but a lot of the time it will kind of say, here's the time and, you know, it's the morning, like go out and like, do something with your day or see your dreams or go out and like, you know, make it happen and that kind of stuff. And this happened a lot early on when the prompt was be imaginative and profound it was, it was all the kind of steer. I was giving it, and I was like, where is this coming from? I mean, who knows where it's coming from, right? It's coming probably from the the tuning they give the model after it's been trained to interact with people. Because the untrained version of Llama 2 doesn't do this, right? This is something that happens with ChatGPT. And this is what I mean about it being like a LinkedIn influencer or a sample on your shoulder telling you to like, yeah, let's go and do it. And, you know, let's decide what we think about. Years ago, Facebook did some research about sentiment analysis in their newsfeed. And they found that if you see a lot of things in the newsfeed which are miserable, you post more miserable things. And if you see things in your newsfeed which are more positive and upbeat, you post more positive and upbeat things. Now, this is kind of like an obvious psychological result, right? You are the average of the people around you. We can question were they ethical to do the research in the way that they did because they changed what people were saying all the rest. But the fact is they did it and now we know. The point is that we're all sitting there writing strategy, setting policy, asking for code, talking through projects with ChatGPT, and it's being upbeat and positive. And that is, that is going to be having an effect on us. And we should be having a conversation about how much we care about that, especially outside California, because these aren't necessarily the same values of every state and every country. And what happens then is people will start feeling distanced from the technology we're using every day. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, I'm just saying it would be good to be having this conversation out loud. And, you know, it's weird, right? Like, it's a gag. But when I'm sitting there and I'm laughing at the times and this is what I'm gazing at while I'm doing my work, this is what it makes me think. And it opens me up to uh, speculating in that way.
1: So it's super interesting that there's this latent happiness to it. Because I was interested in some of your writings. You talked about becoming an AI sommelier and how the different tastes or feelings of the different
0: models. So using GPT-4 from a literary perspective is better. It, it uses like 10 buck words. It's more imaginative, the rhymes are tighter, like you read it and you're like, yeah, it's quality, quality poetry here, right? The Chat GPT model, Turbo 3.5, it's definitely kind of like shorter words, a bit more samey, but it's also cheaper. So here we have a case in point, the value I put on literature. It would be too expensive for me to run the clock with GPT-4 the whole time, which I think is kind of a shame. The other models, it's, it's really fun to kind of use. Like, you know, Mr. O kind of gets straight to the point. Llama, especially kind of an untrained Llama, the picture in my head is like talking to like a sleeping wizard. You talk to them and it, it sort of like mumbles and repeats, repeats what you just said and then continues a little bit and then drops some profound wisdom on you and then, and then tails off and says something else. I did an, an experiment the other day where I lined up five different models and I asked them all if a tree falls in the forest and nobody hears it, does it make a sound? And the more trains the model, the Claude or GPT-4, they gave me like an essay back about all the philosophy of it and the pros and cons and what's going on. And the less trained they are, the less they do that. And then Mistral was just like, no, it doesn't sound waves are like a property of physics. Of course, it still makes a sound. There isn't an argument about this. I love that, right? Like the more experts, the more flannel and hedging there is. And take that, as whatever kind of life lesson you want. I wonder whether writers in the future will, will not just tune into models, but carry with them their own personal proprietary fine-tuned model that they bring to the party. I would like that kind of future more, I think, where we do lean more into personal AI, not just for data protection purposes, but something that we can own and develop and grows along with us. And I don't know how that looks, split between like the cloud and our own devices, but it points the way of a kind of a a new place for kind of craft and taste, which I think this is vibes in 2020's language, which is what this is really about. Give us the pitch on Poem One. So Poem One is this gorgeous clock. I'm not going to call it a, a, a device. It's an AI rhyming clock that looks handsome on your shelf and it tells the time with a rhyming couplet every minute, every day. I've had it sitting on my shelf for a few months in various kind of prototype forms. It makes me laugh every time I look at it and other people want it too. So I've been working with an amazing industrial design studio here in London called Approach. The design they've come up with is gorgeous and we're taking it to Kickstarter. It's a very lo-fi old school Kickstarter, right? This is not kind of like black turtlenecks and 20 minute videos. It's me talking to my webcam and I tell the whole story there about the design decisions and the technology journey and the long story short is the minimum order quantity for this gorgeous thing is a thousand units 700 will get us there and so we're raising i'm right in the right in the middle of it i really want this on my shelf and i really appreciate it people considering it i hope they want it on their shelves too hi i'm matt webb i'm calling from south london in the uk from my studio acts not facts and i'm currently manufacturing poem one I want
1: to thank Matt for his time. This was a super interesting conversation about what is essentially a gag clock. But I think, like we heard in the conversation, it opens up a lot of really interesting conversations around embodied AI, around product design, around taste, and around how do we use prototypes and embodiment to test the edges of new technology. If you want to know more about the product you can see it in the show notes as always journey with purpose all ideas and words are of the people who say them they don't reflect our employers past or present but you knew that i want to make sure that you go to jwp.news download some more podcasts heart like share thumbs up it if you're interested we still have more pamphlets for purchase so please you can buy them use free shipping for free shipping and we can get them out of my house into yours right now i want to thank you for listening and i will see you on the
0: internet. good day